And now, coming to you live. Good morning. Good morning. Everybody, let's sing along. Hi there. My name is Roland Sandberg, and I tune in all the way here in Finland, Europe. Lots of greetings from Finland. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Talking Tunes. I'm your announcer, Kitty Litter. Now it's time to talk to the loon tunes of Talking Tunes. Here they are, the Talking Tunes crew. 91X, FAMA, Baja California, Mexico. Welcome to Talking Tunes 2020. Talking Tunes, I'm Oscar Osbo, and we're here with uh, John Russell who is sharing some of his Saturday morning jukebox information with us as far as some of his interviews. And uh, last week we ended with uh, Tommy James, and we're going to continue that interview with Tommy James. And, uh, well, here it is, Talking Tunes. From AM radio, FM comes in. The songs go from a minute 50 to two minutes to all of a sudden four minutes. You're a part of that with uh, Crimson and Clover. I mean, obviously. the album market. Yeah, and you have to adapt to that as well. That's right. We, one of the things, for example, we talk about, uh, we get involved in the musicals, but Crimson and Clover was such a momentous moment for us when that record came out because so much was going on, not only in the country, but in my life. We had just come off the Hubert Humphrey presidential campaign. And, you know, he ended up doing the liner notes for the Crimson and Clover mm. album. For example, you know, this is, this is a weird combination of politics and music. First of all, it was the first time that a rock group and a political candidate teamed up. Never happened before. When we left on that campaign in August, after the convention, when all the kids got beat up, you know, and we're going, my God, what have we got ourselves into? Is every rally going to be like this? And before it was done, he asked me to be president's advisor on youth affairs. He was very concerned about the youth vote and so forth and thought that Washington was losing touch with the, the younger people. And, that, uh, and he told us how he was going to end the Vietnam War. It was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were really privy to a lot of interesting stuff. At the same time, when we left in August on that campaign, the hot acts of the day were, you know, us, the Rascals, the Buckinghams, the Association, Gary Puckett, all singles acts, right? Mm -hmm. When we come back 90 days later, it's all album acts. It's Led Zeppelin, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Joe Cocker, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I mean, just unbelievable how the record business turned upside down in 90 days. And we knew if we were going to continue that we had to suddenly sell albums, which is something we had never done at Roulette. It was all singles. Mm -hmm. And we were so fortunate that we were working on Crimson and Clover at that moment because Crimson and Clover, the single allowed us to make that move, that pivot from AM top 40 singles to FM album-oriented progressive rock. And there's no way any other record we ever worked on would have done that. So Crimson and Clover was the right song at the right moment so that our careers could continue.
about uh, towards the, the end of the book uh, when, when you finally go toe-to-toe with Morris, which is no uh, small matter there. I mean, no, that you, was very frightening, i got to tell you. That. Yeah, we didn't know how that was going to play out. Yeah, you're, you're basically trying to go to him and saying, hey, you owe me this kind of money. I need the money, right? That sort of a thing? Is that how that all went? Not only, well, it wasn't just that. We would get pulled into these things that the, you know, he and his friends would get involved in. One of them, for example, was a terrible gang war broke out in New York in 1971, and mm. these guys were dropping like flies. There was ended up being almost 400 mob guys that were killed in New York during that time. And we had just put out Dragon Alive, and the Gambino family was taking over New York City, and Morris was on the wrong side. So Morris and Nate McCalla, the head of Calla Records, who was also Morris's enforcer up there, he was his bodyguard, uh, left for Spain and left me and Joe Kolsky and Red Schwartz and all of us up there to fend for ourselves. And nobody knew what was going to happen. So I get called into my lawyer's office and told flatly that it would be a real good idea if I left town for a few weeks because if they can't get Morris, they're liable to go after whatever's making Morris money. And he says, that's you. And so I had to actually leave town. I said, you mean I'm on the lam? Well, you could put it that way. So uh, I ended up going to Nashville and doing an album down there with Elvis's guys, uh, Scotty Moore and DJ Fontana and Pete Drake and so forth, and one of the best albums I ever did, but the point was the reason I had to go down there was because it just wasn't safe. When I came back, I said, that's it. I'm, I'm out of here. And uh, my accountant wanted to get a fair count of how much money we were owed. So instead of going after the vinyl, which, you know, was, uh, you know, Morris pretty much had everybody at the vinyl pressing plants uh, shut their mouths, so it was impossible to get the books and get any cooperation. He went after the labels, where they printed the labels, mm-hmm. and got an honest count, and before it was over, you know, put it all together, and we were owed between 30 and $40 million. And he confronts Morris with that. Finally, Morris comes back in 72, and he confronts him with it, and uh, he th- Morris threatened him, and said, basically, if you ever use that, they'll fish you out of the river. So that was the end of that, and I just made up my mind at that moment, I'm leaving. I no way I'm staying here. There's all this crazy stuff going on. So I have it out. Well, just I, just as I'm ready to have it out with Morris, Morris's partner, Tommy Eberly, who was the head of the Genovese family, gets murdered in Brooklyn, about six blocks from where we're playing. We're playing the Brooklyn Paramount Theater. And this all went down very quickly, and I came back, and I just finally decided I'm having it out with Morris once and for all. I'm leaving. And I told him so, and it was the most dramatic part of the 
of the story. I mean, it was just a screaming match between me and Morris. I mean, it lasted almost an hour, and I, I finally, uh, I stormed out of his office and slammed the door, and I realized if I'm going to get out of my contract, I'm basically going to have to shoot my own career in the foot. So from 72 to 74, I didn't make any more records. Mm. He put out stuff he had in the can, but I didn't make any more records, and finally I got out of there in 74. You know, I really did. you got to say in the long run, too, I I ended up way ahead. I'm just, you know, I've been very uncomfortable telling this story. Mm. I've been wanting to tell this story for a very long time, and nobody knew this. Right. And uh, I started, We Martin Fitzpatrick and I started writing this autobiography about eight years ago. And, um, you know, we just... Every time we'd come to the mob thing, we just stopped to say, we can't write this, but if we don't tell the roulette story, none of this is going to make sense. So we just put the book on a shelf for a couple of years until December of 05, the last of uh, the, uh, I call them the roulette regulars. Uh, passes away, and I felt that we could uh, finish the book. The good news is, eventually, you did get paid. Your payday did come, all of the yes. the back. Uh, and, and, you know, I was telling Rick before we went on here, I said, you know, reading the book, okay, you had to fight for your money, but you got your money, you know, when you were old enough to, I think, appreciate it. You got. Your- I would have probably killed myself That's- with it if I had had all that money in my pocket at that moment. So it was a blessing in, in, in a way. It was. Yeah. It really was. And I, I tell you, you know, good Lord's looked out for me for a whole lot of years, and he still is. I Look, I'm getting to tell this story. The funny part is, <laughs> telling this story is going to be probably the most exciting and, and most, uh, uh, I guess, successful thing that I could do. It's going to be the biggest thing I've ever been involved in. It's going to be a movie in another 18 months. Wow. And then it's going to be a Broadway show. It's going to make a, a great one. I mean, just like mm-hmm. I said, the, the book is is very riveting, and it certainly does. So, so you got both aspects going: the movie and the Broadway show. Yeah, the show. movie is going to be uh, produced by Barry Rosen and Mary Gleason for uh, Triangle Pictures. It's going to be a real all star cast. We're going to make a big announcement in three or four weeks about directors and so forth, and then um, uh, it's going to be a Broadway play. It's going to be first in L.A. in about nine months, then Chicago, and then Broadway. And we're just absolutely—I'm I'm just absolutely in awe over this because I can't believe this has all happened so fast. That you know, the public's reaction to. Uh, yeah to the book and so forth. It's just been amazing. I thought, too, that the end of the book was very touching. You talked about your complicated relationship with, with Morris. I mean, he was your protector, but he also could have very much been your killer at different times. Absolutely. And he winds up dying. He winds up uh, getting cancer and, and, a, and a death, and, and it was one of those things that you kind of put off seeing him again, and finally, like we've all done at different times, you put it off too long, and he, and he goes. And I thought that that was a very um, poignant ending to the book where you're, you know, you're kind of rehashing that a little bit. and, and yeah. Uh, they had to be mixed emotions, obviously. Oh, definitely. I had real mixed feelings about all that. First of all, Morris had been sentenced to prison. He had, was indicted and convicted in 88 of uh, racketeering. He was headed for jail, got cancer, and died before he served a day. So that was, and he then died 
one day before I got back, I was going to go see him, and he died the night before I could talk to him. So the last scene of the movie, by the way, and the book, is I sort of have this imaginary conversation with him, mm-hmm. the one I, I guess I would have had. So that was um, that's kind of how the story ends. The book, the funny part is Morris is the star of the show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's the Morris Levy show. With, yeah, uh, with Morris the... is really the most interesting character in the book. And, uh, you know, so, and he really was. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Tanya, will you have a role in helping to cast people? Because oh, obviously yeah. you knew them intimately. Yes, I'm going to, there's going to be, I'm going to have to uh, talk about who this guy looked like and what this guy sounded wow. like and all that stuff. There's, I'm going to be obviously a, a technical advisor and I'm also going to, I'll probably play a bit part in the movie. I'll be a bartender. So. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe a jam, maybe I'll be a DJ. Yeah. Sure. You'll be like Alfred Hitchcock, just having a little yeah. role. See, yeah. see if anybody right. can find Tommy James in the background. Yeah. That's right. Well, I'm reading the book to, to my wife uh, before we go to bed, usually a lot of times. And she said at the question that she asked me at the end of the book was, "Hey, what happened to Brian, your little boy? You talked about." Oh, your- we're very close. Good, good. He's a he. He became a very. He's a very talented. Kid. You know, the thing is, he's a hell of a drummer. Ah, but yeah. I did not uh, encourage him to do that. Uh, uh, he uh, is also a great design engineer, and that's really wow. what he's doing for a living. And we're all one big happy family, thankfully again. When were you able to really reconnect with him again and, and, and obviously bring him back into the family again? Well, you know, I, it never really was. Uh, the funny part is in the, the one thing that I regret about the book is that I never told that story mm. about Brian and, and me. And Brian and Diane sort of disappear in one part of the book, and I never mm. resolved that. And I should have done that. It was one part of the book that just kind of didn't get written. So I try to talk about it in, when I do interviews about what happened is that but Brian basically and I always stayed in touch. And yeah. it wasn't like we were ever estranged or anything like that. Mm. And so Brian is, you know, Brian is, is 45 years old today. He'll be, at the end of the month, actually, on the 22nd, he'll be 45. Children behave, that's what they say when we're together, and watch how you play, they don't understand, and so we're running just as fast as we can.
your life now, obviously, is, is still making music, I understand. Oh, sure. We're all over the country performing. Anybody wants to come to our website, it's just TommyJames.com. And we have new product. We have our own label and new product coming out all the time. How, how do you break into the uh, the music business again, Tommy? I mean, uh, we talked about it before. I mean, there was, you know, once you uh, have been in it for 40 years or something, all of a sudden you kind of, with the way radio is now, you kind of, people get pushed aside a little bit. How do you, do you, do you use the internet as a tool then to kind of uh, reinvent yourself a little well, bit? Well, you know, we. I basically, the, the music has never not been in front of the public. Hmm. Honestly, uh, uh, you know, it, you know, we're obviously not on the the top forty stations today, but right. we certainly are on all the classic rock and you're the on our station. And, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, it's like we're and a lot of AC. You know, we in '06 we had a hold the hold the fire album and three no, three top five records, uh, adult contemporary. One of them went number one. Love words. Uh, exactly 40 years to the week after Hanky Panky, actually. Wow, that's phenomenal. You know, six. And um, I'm back in the studio now with the original Shondells from Pittsburgh, the, the group from Pittsburgh. We just finished uh, a couple of songs for the movie. And one of them is going to be closing credits to the movie. Is going to be uh, this brand new version of I Think We're Alone Now that's mm. slow and dreamy. And the the whole... It's it's totally opposite from the original record, and uh, the last scene of the movie, of course, uh, Morris Levy uh, passes, and I have this imaginary conversation with him, and right at the end, then it, it fades into "I think we're alone now." Yeah. So, in other words, the meaning of the song, you know, Morris has died, and we're alone now, rather than right. "Young Love," which the original <laughs> record was about. So, even the meaning of "I think we're alone now" changed. One of the things I found about your book that was very encouraging and certainly very touching at the same time was that you've always spoken very fondly of those original friends who made up your original groups, obviously oh, yeah. stayed in touch. And Well, we have. Yeah, no, I actually heard from Mike Booth, the first drummer, my first, you know, the, the first musician that, uh, uh, you know, I talked about in the book actually is, uh, is a, I heard from him the other night, as a matter of fact, it was great to hear from him. And you're still putting on great shows. I know I had a buddy that saw you in Cleveland a few years ago and says that the energy is, is still there. And what's going to be neat, I got to think, Tommy, is obviously you have the, the, the fans that knew you from day one that follow you around, but also you're probably picking up uh, new generations of fans. I know that's what, what, you know, it's so amazing. We have, I, I look out in the concert crowd now, we have three generations yeah. of fans out there. And it really is amazing. Um, you know, we're doing a lot of colleges now and things. <laughs> you know, if anybody, by the way, wants to check out our dates or come to a show, just come to the website. They're all posted. It's an amazing time right now, and I'm having a ball. Well, great. Well, Tommy, thanks for taking some time to, to chat with us. The book is called Me, the Mob, and, and the Music, and it's been great to kind of walking down memory lane. You've certainly been uh, one of uh, our heroes over the years, and it's good well, to see you. Well, thank you so much. It's great to talk with you guys. Thanks a lot, Tommy. Thank you, Tommy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care.